0: Hello, and welcome to episode three of our Becoming Resilient podcast focused on the hot button issue of community readiness and resiliency. I'm your host, Derek Ressler, and today we'll be focusing on the topic of resiliency in transportation. I'm joined once again by Jonathan Guy, a transportation specialist from our Charleston office, and new to the conversation is Allison Fluitt, a transportation engineer and planner in our Raleigh office with 16 years of experience. Thank you both for being here, and let's dive right in. So, What do you think of the intersection of resiliency and transportation? Sorry for the pun there. What comes to mind? Allison, let's start with
1: you.
2: Well, specifically, when we're thinking about transportation, what I tend to think about is it really all comes down to prioritization. And I think about that in a number of different ways. So, as Derek, you mentioned, I'm an engineer and a planner. So, when we think about this from a planning standpoint, We know that at a federal level, we've actually been told that resiliency is now one of our federal planning goals. So the FAST Act, otherwise known as the Fixing America's Surface Transportation Act, which was our newest federal transportation legislation, uh, effective uh, December 2015, that actually gave us resiliency as a federal planning goal. That's not something that was really clearly stated in the past. Now, it was something that was in the ether, and I think people were certainly talking about it in other areas, but it actually rose to the level that the feds were communicating that as a priority. Um, So, certainly, we know it's a requirement, right? It's out there. We have to be dealing with it as we think about planning, as we think about design and engineering. But why did it rise to the level of being a federal planning goal? How did we get there? And that's when I start to think back about our system. Where are we right now? And our entire system has become stressed over the years. We are not only physically stressed, but we're also financially stressed. We're at a critical point in time here. So when I started my career, we were under the T21 federal legislation. Since that time, we've gone through Safety Lou, MAP-21, and now the FAST Act, which actually is set to expire at the end of September of this year. And in every single one of these, What we were telling the folks that we've worked with, the municipalities, the states, and the metropolitan areas is funding is at an all-time low. And that messaging has not changed in the 16 years that I have been working at Kimley Horn. And so what does that mean? We have become as lean and mean as we possibly can. So We have reached a point where prioritization is really all about where we are. We have to make the right decision because we have fewer resources every single day. And we have to make sure that those choices that we're making are really making the best use of what little that we have to work with.
0: Mm.
1: Jonathan, how about you? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting, the word prioritization, and it's becoming uh, a critical element for us on all of our projects, we're seeing it, and we're seeing this show up in, you know, in these three specific elements of transportation projects, from the initial planning to the development of the infrastructure, and even more importantly, as Allison said, in the funding. You know, years ago we had more ability to fund projects. There was more revenue. There were less projects. We could do more. And nowadays we're seeing. Projects are competing for the same space. They're competing for the same dollars. And so uh, doing more with less is going to be a priority for us uh, as we look at transportation projects. We look at how we fund those projects and how we implement those. How do we have that ability to accomplish the goals of the project uh, in a meaningful way, uh, but being able to do that uh, in, in more lean
0: times? So with all of that, how are we seeing resiliency manifest itself in transportation guidance and policy?
2: Yeah, thanks, Derek. I think when I think about resiliency and really through the lens of transportation planning, we'll first start to see it in in our goal setting. Really with any transportation planning project, and in a sense, as you think about our transportation design projects as well, we're really thinking about goal setting as our first and foremost priority. So what is it that we're really trying to get out of this process? What are we trying to respond to at the local level, at the state level, at the federal level that's really going to be important? And so we start to see resiliency there, first and foremost. How can we establish goals that embrace resiliency in multiple forms? We need to think early on in any process what resiliency means for that area. So I know in an earlier podcast, you talked about the fact that resiliency doesn't just mean uh, flooding, it can mean a lot of different things. And so what does it mean for that area? And let's make sure that when we think about resiliency, that we are responding to the particular needs of that area. And then certainly creating that discrete link between the federal and state requirements and those local needs so that you can ultimately become more competitive for funding as you go on down the line. And I think that then transitions into project development, because as you're starting to identify the types of projects within any sort of plan, that plays a major role in how you begin to think about resiliency. First off, you have to intentionally leverage those goals that you have available for the area and making sure that you're, every time you come up with a project, how does it address those goals? And resiliency being a part of one or more of those goals it then allows you to organically make that a part of every one of the projects that you're developing. And that manifests itself, I think, in a few different ways. Um, You can start to think about geographic dispersion of those projects, different project types, whether that's different modes, whether that's different ways to address needs. It could be widenings, new locations, or smaller scale projects like intersection level projects, access management projects. Uh, even uh, maintenance or preservation-type projects. And then also thinking about project extent. Um, so maybe taking what could have been a larger-scale project and starting to think of it more from a surgical standpoint of, is there a small portion of this that I could do first that meets a critical need from a resiliency standpoint? So with looking at all of the different angles, when you identify those projects that allows you to address the different facets of resiliency and then come up with a more competitive list of projects as you migrate into prioritization.
1: Wow,
0: that is a lot to consider there, especially when it comes to prioritization, like you said. And Jonathan, you mentioned a little bit before we started recording here that there's a specific policy affecting you in South Carolina. Could you tell us more about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, South Carolina is not known for doing a lot of things well, but uh, one thing I will give them credit for is the uh, South Carolina Act 114. And Allison and I have worked on enough uh, long range transportation plans to know the ins and outs of this. Uh, and the interesting thing about it, while its intent was really to remove politics from you know selecting projects, uh, the reverse of it has, has somewhat happened in, in the case of being able to give communities a greater voice. Um, and, and how they prioritize those projects. Um, a lot of people may have this, uh, you know, misnomer that uh, resiliency is about sea level rise or flooding or other things like that. Uh, in reality, it's not. It's preparing your community for adapting to stresses that may, may be placed upon that, and so with act 114, uh, we, the communities can either follow a set of guidance that is stipulated um, for the selection of projects or they have the ability to petition the Board of Transportation to come up with their own. Guidance for that and and metrics that they would like to prioritize, and so we're seeing a lot of communities use this under the lens of resiliency. You know, how do we address flooding and is and how do we address? um, Congestion and they're doing it based off of their local. Experiences that they've seen uh, one plan we developed, Allison and I, we worked together. It was the very first plan. It actually was the first MPO that had been created in more than 20 years in South Carolina. It was the low country. So it's around Hilton Head, Beaufort, right there on the, the state line with Georgia. Uh, and as we developed their criteria, one of the things that was important for them in evaluating projects was hurricane evacuation. Uh, and so that was built in as a metric for them to look at. Uh, And you know, as we begin to evolve into this next round of of plans that are going to be updated uh, for federal guidance, we're going to see more and more emphasis placed on. Looking at the specifics of those corridors and looking at it again through that lens of resiliency. Where are we investing the dollars? What's the return? And as Allison said, you know, resiliency has a variety of aspects and overlays, if you will, that it's applied to. You know, it's not just a geographical or a a physical character characteristic. You've also got resiliency associated with mode. And how does that fit into the dollars that we're allocating for each of these projects? Where are we spending those dollars so that there is a equitable share that is, you know, impacting uh, those disenfranchised communities? You know, there's a whole new aspect of transportation that's starting to bubble up. Uh, and again, it goes back to that key word we've said quite a bit, prioritization.
2: And Jonathan, I love what you pointed out with the Country example and their focus on hurricane ev- evacuation. And it's certainly something that in every community where we do this type of planning work, we see some of those local needs that are so unique to that area. Just a couple of locations where I'm actually working right now um, on some planning efforts. For example, Cheyenne, Wyoming. Um, You wouldn't necessarily think it, but flooding is an issue in Cheyenne, particularly in some of their rural roads. And that's something that we're uh, really helping them pay a little bit of attention to as we think about their overall project prioritization. But then we also have to think about areas like Huntington, West Virginia. And one of their biggest issues from resiliency standpoint is system redundancy. They have one big interstate, I-64, that runs through the area. And I tell you what, when there is a crash on that interstate, good luck getting through Huntington, <laughs> West Virginia. Um, so they need to figure out ways and look for solutions of how to get through that and manage some of those system redundancy issues. So it really is unique to every individual community.
1: Yeah. It is, and I, and I like that parallel between uh, Huntington and in the Country. In each of those you have a, a geographical constraint that's affecting them completely different. Down here it's the marshes and the in the rivers and the bays and the lack of bridges that connect us up there. It's the topography of the mountains and the hills surrounding the communities and the lack of roadways too. Uh, and so two completely uh, geographic and uh, ecological systems, but yet they struggle with connectivity. Uh, and so, you know, it, it just goes to prove our point of resiliency is not bound by a coastal community. Uh, it is it is everywhere we work. I really think by the end of this series, we need to get some ver- uh, form of that
0: printed on t-shirts or bumper stickers or something. It's certainly been one thing that I've taken away from all these conversations we've had. It's interesting to see how resiliency can affect any town, any community, anywhere, regardless of their proximity to the sea. Jonathan, let me start with you on this next one. Um, how do you see resiliency impacting funding opportunities
1: and any projects moving forward? Derek, thank you. Uh, it, you know it is it is like we've said early on and often during this podcast. It's prioritization. It's critical. Uh, it's It's how we prioritize those projects moving forward uh, that is going to be the key. Um, When we look at both the short term and long term impacts um, to the environment and to our wallet in a lot of ways, you know, Allison said funding is already constrained, you know, and we have been seeing that for many, many, many years now. So selecting those projects uh, that can address the critical concerns is going to be what every community is going to be looking at. Again, I said this earlier, how do we do more with less or how do we use those resources in a better way? And I think that's the key. It's a mindset change that we have to come. We have to bring forth a lot of the stuff that we're doing in the resiliency space. is already there. The engineering behind the design of a road uh, is going to be the same, whether it's a two lane or a five lane. There's some key differences on how that's done but we need to look at solving problems differently. Let me give you an example. If we've got a congested artery and that road connects much like Huntington, where they have one interstate facility through there, maybe the resources don't need to be spent to widen that, but maybe they do make more sense improving adjacent connectors where it's possible and giving people alternatives. That still solves the same issue congestion on the major artery so I think the important thing to take away from that is that it requires a mindset change Uh, and that goes for all of us how we look at solving projects needs to change rather than approaching projects from the traditional sense like we have we need to be thinking about how we utilize our infrastructure in a different way in a better way um Instead of just widening a road, maybe it's improving the connections to two other streets, just like what we were talking about in Huntington, where we've got a major interstate facility that lacks parallel connectors. Maybe the investment is greater if we improve the parallel facilities that provide that connectivity. We still solve the issue. We've just done it in a different way. And that result may be that we can do more with spending less money. That is an important distinction in my mind. Thinking differently is required, not necessarily designing things differently. And that's an important distinction.
2: Yeah, that's a really great point, Jonathan. And I think one of the things that I've tried to be mindful of as, as resiliency has really just entered more of our daily conversation is that it, it comes down to thinking about things in a more opportunistic way, in, in many ways, that as we can think about our, our project process, I mean, the the goals, identification, identifying projects, prioritization, and funding, these were steps that we've always gone through. But as we just think about resilience as a intentional step within each one of those things, then I think it allows us to start to look for opportunities that maybe have been there before, but people just weren't necessarily picking them out and saying, hey, this is really a chance to do something that... um, wasn't necessarily identified before. And by thinking opportunistically, I think it also allows us to pursue those funding opportunities where they do exist and maybe look to intentionally link um, to those funding opportunities early on and say, hey, this looks like this could be a really good fit. Maybe let's start to try to tailor some of our projects so that they can most closely align with some of those potential future funding sources and again, make themselves the most attractive candidates for moving on into implementation.
0: So once these do move on into implementation, what are the keys for seeing resiliency integrated into transportation?
1: Jonathan, we'll start with you. That's a great question. Uh, To me, it boils down to communication. You know, it is, in a lot of communities we're working with, they're doing a lot of the same. They're doing a lot of good things already. They're thinking of it in a different mindset and it again goes back to that mindset change. You know, How do we understand and look at it through a different lens? Uh, most communities are looking at solving congestion. That's one of the big ones we face in transportation. Um, I think our approach is a little bit different. It's coming in and saying absolutely and for many years it's been about solving congestion. and How have we done that? We have essentially widened roads and widened roads and widened roads. And many transportation professionals will tell you, you can't widen your way out of congestion. And that's very true. I think what we're starting to see with communities is a change in that mindset of, it's not just about the motor vehicle. It's about transit. It's about other modes of mobility, including bicycle and pedestrian, that we have this whole picture. And they're learning how to communicate that out, not only to the general public, But also to the elected officials, and you're starting to see that shift, uh, which is really refreshing to see uh, in the communities that we're working in. And so to me, it comes down to, you know, how do we articulate this in a better manner? So it's communication is the key moving forward.
2: And Jonathan, I, I totally agree with you, and I would take it. Even one step further that one of the things that I truly am excited about as we continue to have these conversations about resilience is that It gives us the opportunity to be even more intentional with our conversations between planning between engineering between landscape architects and urban designers and start to think about the bigger picture Um, because resilience is is about all of those things working together. And, and I think that's one thing that I've always been uh, really prided our team on doing, you know, from the, from the get go, is working across those different lines on finding some collective solutions. But I think as an industry, we're really starting to see that become more of a standard. It's like you said, Jonathan, it's maybe not just about widening that road. It's about understanding why that congestion is there. Maybe let's understand, could we change those people to a different mode of transportation or a different travel pattern? If we change the land uses surrounding them, could we actually induce demand elsewhere? Or could we encourage people to work from home or do something a little bit differently? We have a chance to start to work across those different boundaries. And I think it really presents an opportunity to draw from the best perspectives from all of those different disciplines and result in a series of proje- projects that's going to be best suited to the needs of all of the different municipalities and governments with which we work.
1: I couldn't agree more. I think it, you summed it up very well uh, in, in describing that phrase of it's it's about a mindset change. And you're right. Projects are uh, in communities, I should say, are approaching projects completely differently now. Uh, and as, as we look around here in the Southeast, um, we're seeing communities and our professional agencies, whether it's D.O.T. or the municipalities, they're doing that due diligence up front. Uh, They're spending the time with the planning alternatives. Uh, They're trying to figure out what to do best, what's going to work best for these elements first uh, before we go spend the dollars of design, where in the past it was, let's jump to the foregone conclusion. We need to widen this road. We're seeing that change, and and it is refreshing uh, to see that in our profession. Excellent. Well, I believe that is all the conversation we had set for
0: today. Jonathan, Allison, thank you both for your time, and thank you all for joining us for episode three of our Becoming Resilient podcast. Tune in next time when we discuss the topic of resiliency and how it relates to pavement management with Kimley Horn's Tim Miller and a special guest from our teaming partner, Roadbotics.